Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Welcome to Go Ask Alley, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Don't think that there's some one soulmate. It's not like there's one. Although Bon Jovi is my soulmate. <laughs> there's always exceptions. Are you saying that gossiping is the same as if I'm picking lice out of your scalp and eating it? Well, you've done both. So what do you think? I don't want to give her too much. I don't like her to come in with an inflated head. So we won't mention the Golden Globe. After all we've been through, we deserve an orgasm, sis. Honey? We deserve. <laughs> I know. Welcome to Go Ask Allie. I'm Allie Wentworth, and this season I'm digging into everything I can get my hands on, peeling back the layers and getting dirty. Today is a big episode because we're going to try to tackle a lot of things because we're talking about relationships, lives, and the country as the pandemic continues for who knows how long. So if this is a long-term thing, how are we going to manage the stress and how are we going to manage the stress of the country at large? You know, I look around at my family and friends, and I see how many people have dealt in so many different ways with the anxiety of the pandemic. You know, some people don't watch the news anymore. Some people eat up the news. I have friends that were alone during the pandemic who have realized they like being alone. They're not lonely. And other people I know, couples got tighter, other couples broke up, all because of this global virus. And that is why I have two very special guests today, because I think one, Fareed Zakaria, needs to deal with the macro, the world at large, especially our country, and then the micro. 
Donna Fish, a mental health therapist, will offer advice on how to deal with ourselves and others and how we slowly start to re-engage in the world during this incredibly emotional time. So first up is Fareed Zakaria. Fareed Zakaria hosts a weekly international and domestic affairs program, Fareed Zakaria GPS for CNN Worldwide, and is a columnist for The Washington Post, a contributing editor for The Atlantic, and a best-selling author. His latest book is 10 Lessons for a Post-Pandemic World. He was named a top 10 global thinker of the last 10 years by Foreign Policy Magazine in 2019, and Esquire once called him the most influential foreign policy advisor of his generation. Welcome, Fareed Zakaria, author of 10 Lessons for a Post-Pandemic World. I'm so happy to have you here to answer a million questions I have. Great to be with you, Ali. I wanted you on this podcast because I'm trying to figure out what the next few years look like. I want to know if it's going to change us for the better, for the worse. Let me start out by asking you a, a toughie, which is, is this the worst of times? Um, it's the biggest crisis we've ever faced, uh, this pandemic, because if you think about it, it's truly global. It's, it's incredibly broad. And it's, it's, been, it's been much longer than most crises. So compare it, for example, to 9-11. Mm-hmm. So 9-11, if you were somebody living in Japan or Brazil, it really had very little impact on you. Um, or, or think about even the financial crisis. The financial crisis goes on for a few months and then everything starts getting uh, kind of back to normal. This case, everyone in the world has been affected by this. It's, it, it's almost true to say, I think that every human being on the planet in some way has been affected by this pandemic. And it has been a long running thing. You know, I mean, we, we, between the health, public health aspect, uh, the shutting down of the economy, the change in the nature of work, the effects have, are still going on, right? So I can't think of anything we have gone through in our lives, which has had that broad and that deep an, an effect. I mean, but it's different from the Spanish flu of 1918. I mean, we are, thank, thank God, a little more technologically advanced. But I have to say, I think our health care is a mess in our country. And I, I don't see that getting better anytime soon. Do you? So you're right. The the two big differences between the Spanish flu and, and now, and even actually the Asian flu of 1957 and now, the big difference is, which is a positive one, we got a vaccine yeah. within nine months. This is what distinguishes this, uh, this pandemic from every previous pandemic in history. In nine months, you had five vaccines, all of which worked. It's really amazing. Uh, the second piece is we shut down the economy. Um, now, the reason that that's unique is uh, before that you couldn't. In 1957, half of Americans didn't even have a phone line. So the idea that you could just continue economic activity in the digital space was not an option. So in all those all previous pandemics, while there was a you know there were some lockdowns, some curfews, basically people kind of had to get back to work as soon as they could. So those are two positives about this. We were able to keep the economy going. We got the vaccines. Now, the big question you ask is, you know, has this been a shock to our system in, in terms of reforming it? Yeah. Look, the fundamental problem we have in the American healthcare system is it is basically a private healthcare system, not a public healthcare system. If you're rich, if you have money, 
You get the best healthcare in the world, but it is not universal. It does not extend out. And in a pandemic, that's a huge problem because you leave 10% behind or 15% behind and the pandemic is going to spread. And and what we saw was the reality or the, or the consequences of the way we have chosen to structure healthcare, which is unlike other advanced industrial nations, we really do not care about universality. We do not care. And, and so looking at it from kind of a 30,000 feet view, it's a very inefficient system because uh, we, we overspend on people like you and me, and we underspend on people who desperately need the care. Like if, if we were to take $5 away from each of us, people like us, um, and give it to the poorest 10 or 15% of Americans, it wouldn't change our health at all for the worse, and it would massively benefit those people at the But we don't have a mechanism to do no, that. No, it doesn't look like it's going to pivot that way anytime soon. And if anything, and I'd love you to talk about it, I think that it's it's sort of shined a light on how a mess our healthcare is, but also it even widens the wealth disparity. It even makes the haves and the have-nots even more glaring a problem. So it feels like we're we're being more and more polarized and not coming together. Even though this is a global crisis, which you think would bring people together, it's not. Yeah, at so many levels, Ali. So first, take the the point you made. Um, the the thing that the pandemic has exposed is the digital divide which is in fact also an income divide, a class divide, a cultural divide, a geographic divide. So if you look at the top 25% of Americans, in most recessions, the rich and the poor lose jobs at about the same pace. In this recession, the top 25% actually gain jobs by the end of 2020. And you can imagine why, right? Like, so it's, it's easy to do consulting and coding and stuff and the kind of stuff we're doing online. I'm not, I'm not coding, Farid. <laughs> yeah, in you, fact, I'm you, I'm Googling coding as we speak. <laughs> Believe it or not, you are very much a part of the digital economy. Um, but but the bottom twenty five percent in in twenty twenty lost jobs at about the same pace as during the Great Depression, and that disparity where the top, the rich actually gained employment and the and the and the poor suffered a massive hemorrhage never happened before at least not in not in modern times then you say where are the people who have who have the jobs who have this ability to keep generating income uh, even though the physical economy is shut down well they tend to live in cities or metro areas mm-hmm. they tend to have some college education they tend to you know vote democratic more than republican and the people who are who are in the opposite side tend to be a mix, but a lot of them are rural. A lot of them have less education and all that. So you, you know, all the divides we think about have just gone stacked on each other and widened. Well, and it also seemed like here we were in lockdown in a global pandemic, and it was a perfect storm of everything else. So we had, well, civil unrest, but all kinds of big movements like Black Lives Matter. It did also shed a light on how incredibly racist our country is. Do you think we're going to learn from this? So, I, I mean, you're absolutely right that the pandemic also produced social unrest. And I think it produced social unrest because whenever you have one of these shocks to the system, a kind of big disruption, in a strange sense, it allows people to ask themselves questions of like, 
am I living the life I want to? Is this country organized the way I want it to? And I think we are very bad at handling the issue you were talking about, which is really the issue of identity, diversity, plurality, because America is two things that are very different. For most minorities, and I say this as a minority, I'm you know an Indian American, I'm Muslim by birth, um, I brown skin, I have a funny name, and for most people in my category, America has actually been remarkably welcoming, and it has integrated and assimilated people. And compared to most other countries in the world, you're lucky to be a minority in America. I mean, I I know this from my personal experience, but the data also shows we assimilate people much better. If you are um, African-American, black, or if you are a Native American, or, you know, there are certain categories, principally black, America has been horrendous to you. I mean, you know, the black experience in America is just stunningly cruel, right? I mean, it's hundreds of years of slavery in which families were forcibly pulled apart, husbands and wives sold separately, children sold separately, which then destroys the family structure. Then you have another hundred years of segregation, which perpetuates in a de facto kind of slavery. Then you have the you know the the civil rights movement, but still the massive disparities are never really addressed. So I mean the 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 obvious one would be wealth, right? I mean average black family's wealth is much, much lower than a white family. Uh, uh, and so what I often find is there is this weird, you know, putting it all into one box mm-hmm. and saying, we're, we're going to do better with people of color. It's like, you know, I'm doing fine. We, we're we trying to turn it into a, a larger conversation that involves everybody. And really what we need is a much more specific reckoning, I think, mm-hmm. with slavery and with Native Americans. And I mean, I think... Yes. And I think, uh, you know, obviously this was exacerbated by George Floyd, but something happened psychologically, I think, during this pandemic as well. I mean, people were in lockdown. Like you said, they had to think about their lives, but people seem to be incredibly angry. And in some ways it's come out, I think, in a positive way through activism. But, you know, we are seeing a lot of that infighting. And I I think there's going to be a civil war, which is probably an extreme thing to say. But I do feel it sometimes. I don't see us coming together. I don't see everybody being on the same track as far as sort of the future of our country goes. Am I being too extreme? No, you're not being too extreme. This is the thing I worry about more than anything else. I mean, otherwise, you know, the America economically, we're doing really well. We're doing technologically, we dominate the world. We're the only rich country that is growing demographically, you know, because of immigration, we're strong. But we have this crazy politics and it's become, you know, what I was saying before is it's not political anymore. It's culture, it's class, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and which which are much harder to bridge. I mean, if politically we have a disagreement, uh, you know, I mean, when George and I first got into this this world, the, the liberals wanted to spend $100 billion, the conservatives wanted to spend $20 billion. Well, you know what? There's a number between those two. You can always split the difference on those kinds of issues. But how do you split the difference? When when you know when the issue is sort of core identity, I believe my country is being is being totally transformed culturally. I believe you know or gay rights or or you know abortion. These are you know it's very hard to compromise. Mm-hmm. So 
that's become the nature of politics now. It's all these identity, culture, class uh, divisions. Are these issues, were they exasperated by the pandemic? Um, Would we be talking about this today if there had not been a global pandemic? Yeah, no, we would be. We, I mean, th- this has been the, the 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 story of American politics, let's say the end of the Cold War as a marker. Before that, it was really liberals who wanted to spend money and impose taxes. Conservatives wanted to save money and, you know, cut taxes. Um, now it's become completely different. And that's not the pandemic. The pandemic is with all these things kind of heightens and accelerates it. Mm-hmm. But this rise of kind of identity politics is is the big trend in American politics. Okay, so it seems it seems to me right now that the the unions are getting very heated. Do you think that there's any positive outcome from that? Yeah, actually, I think this is one of those uh, cases where the bad news actually is good news. So, yeah, unions are getting more more demanding. You're seeing more strikes even. But more importantly, you're seeing this crazy situation where there are 10 million people unemployed and 8 million unfilled jobs in the United States, which has never happened before. In other words, why are these jobs not getting filled? And the reason is people are saying, you're not paying us enough. You're not treating us well enough. And it's not just about the money because the hospitality industry has raised uh, wages on average 18% and still they can't fill tens of thousands of jobs. I think this is somebody described this as like the great reassessment. We're going through a period where people are asking themselves, what, what, you know, what is the work-life balance they want? What is the kind of job they want? And, you know, the people who have not been treated well over the last 30 or 40 years in America are these sort of lower middle class, working class, just workers. So the fact that they are revolting, the fact that employers are going to have to hustle and ask themselves, what do I do to make these people's lives a little bit less miserable in these ways? You know, they, those dishwashers at restaurants. Yeah. I think it's great that they will that they will be paid more, they'll be treated better. It's, by the way, great for the economy because it means those are the people, when you give them more money, they spend it. You know, you give money to rich people, they save it. You give money to poor people, they spend it. So I think this will end up being one of the big positive changes that will come out of the, uh, the crisis. You know, my concern is uh, is our country's ability to deal with the crisis because uh, yes, we have the vaccine, but, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. And I know that you've cited uh, Taiwan and Korea as places that were able to deal with the pandemic a lot more efficiently than we have. We don't seem to be dealing with this particular crisis as well as we could be, which makes me nervous about future epidemics, which makes me worry about future any kind of issues, chemical warfare, biological contagions or whatever it is. I, I, I worry about it. Should should I should I be taking Xanax or is it going to be OK? No, I think you should be worried. I think you. Be, be, this is the in a way, the central problem we face uh, is the American government has just gotten very bad. You know, I say one of my lessons is it's not the quantity of government, it's the quality of yeah. government because Taiwan spends 5% of its GDP on healthcare. We spend 19% and they did stunningly well and we did abysmally. Um, and here, and here's the, the fascinating thing, Ali, it's not that they did lockdowns. Taiwan did no lockdowns. Korea did no lockdowns because they got to it early and they understood that the key in a pandemic is you isolate. 
you isolate that small number of people. And I talked to the guy who ran the program in Taiwan and I said, well, you know, Americans would say you could, we could never do that. And he said, well, think about what you're saying, because we quarantined in total 1% of the population for 14 days. So we deprived them of liberty for 14 days, 1% of the In return, the other 99% could go about business as usual, no lockdowns. We never shut the economy down. We never, you guys say you can't do that. But in response to your pandemic, then what you had to do was you did a lockdown that put tens of millions of people out of work shuttered hundreds of thousands of businesses, and the, the government had to spend $4 trillion to make up for it. And that's not an infringement on liberty uh, when people lose their jobs, their livelihood. Yeah. So I thought it was a really good example of you know what we have lost the capacity to do, which is kind of intelligent risk-reward behavior. Okay, I'm willing to take this much pain for a small, short period of time to get much larger gain. No, we just stumbled through it, and just because we're so rich, we can kind of throw enormous amounts of money at the problem. That was the vaccine. That was the, the COVID relief. And we'll be all right because of that. Right. But, you know, imagine if we didn't have this kind of money. Oh, God. We'd be really screwed. Yes, we would. So I, I want you to do two things I bet you haven't had to do on any of these uh, Zoom interviews, which is paint me the worst case scenario of the next five years, and then we're going to do a pivot into pure optimism. But right now, <laughs> the next five years, if it went off the rails, what would what would America look like to you? Yeah. So the worst scenario is nothing gets done. Biden ends up being a failed president. The Republicans take the, take the House and the Senate, which means there's total gridlock. Trump he doesn't win but manages to manipulate the results so that he wins. So you have, for the third time now, you would have this sense of deep illegitimacy. You know, it, that, that the group that didn't get power basically thought the, the other group stole it. Um, and then you, I think you do end up with some kind of, you know, violence, constant demonstrations. You, you'll end up in a situation where the United States becomes a kind of banana republic where it can't be governed, nothing gets done. You know, I don't think it'll collapse. I mean, the private sector will keep going, I, I, I suppose. But I think it becomes very difficult for any large problem to be solved. And and I think that what worries me most about it is, and I'm not describing something that extreme, no. Many of these steps could easily happen. Trump could decide to run. He could get the nomination. Mm -hmm. uh, the last election that Biden won in the Electoral College was close, uh, about 100,000 votes in three states, and it would have gone the other way. Right. And if the, if the Secretary of State of Georgia and the Pennsylvania legislature and Wisconsin had said, we think that this is all wrong, the electors, we're going to nominate our own slate, boom, you have a constitutional crisis. And and. My fear about all this is I don't see what stops it. We, we could get lucky. He loses very badly. But at least it, if he were to win decisively, that would be another thing. But I doubt that. I think you're going to end up with a very close election. We've had very close elections for the last 20 years now. And with the erosion of trust in the U.S. government, as soon as that starts to crumble, then America does not have an ability to respond to a crisis. 
I mean, you know, I even think about global warming right now. Even that is a political debate as to whether it even exists or not. And yet we have wildfires and floods. I mean, there's we're witness to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so for me, and for the sake of this podcast, Farid, I'm 32 years old. For me, a 32 year old <laughs> woman, you know, I, I there's no category of life in America that doesn't concern me right now, you know, where whether it's the forests or the courts or, you know, people of color or the wealth disparity. I mean, it's it's very hard right now to be optimistic. And I know that you've written that Lenin once said there are decades when nothing happens and weeks when decades happen. And I feel like we're in that right now. Yeah. Look, first of all, let me say, since people are going to hear the podcast, uh, Ali looks like she's 28, <laughs> not 32. So I'm already a little startled. That, okay, that it's you're 32. booked for another episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, look, the the challenge we face is that all these crises seem to be happening at the same time, and we somehow have politicized things at a level that no other country has. So you know. The, the issue of global warming, as you said, there's no other country in which there's a big debate going on. Right. I mean, there's a little bit in Australia, but it's really, I mean, in every other country, if you look at the Conservative Party in, in Germany, in Britain, they're all completely on board with dealing with it. The, the pandemic, look at the vaccination. We are the only major country in the world that has this bizarre situation where 30% of the country will not take a life-saving drug called a vaccine because they want to make a political point. And it's more important to own the libs than to vaccinate yourself against a pandemic. All right. So let's let's conclude with some optimism. And let me ask you this. What is the biggest, clearest, most important thing that we have learned because of the pandemic? If we can bring anything with us out of this horrible period, you know, besides the fact that we can Zoom, what are what are some of the things that we can benefit from learning, if anything. We've learned that we have a lot of problems. They, they kind of expose that reality. You know, it's like Warren Buffett's great line. It's only when the tide goes out that you know who's been swimming naked. <laughs> so I think the tide went out in America. And there's a lot of nudity. Yeah. There's a lot of naked people. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if, if at some fundamental level, it, I, I hope we've realized that wealth does not buy health. That being being rich and having a healthy society is not the same thing. We need to f we need to restructure in a way that allows you know that allows some of those dollars to get to people who really desperately need it. Mm -hmm. I think we've realized that people do honorable jobs, work really hard, and should have a lot of dignity, uh, even though they don't make a lot of money. You know, I mean, I think we we all saw that the people who went to work every day in offices, in factories, in water treatment plants, in sewage facilities, so that we could sit at home mm -hmm. uh, are, are often the worst paid people. Um, so, you know, if you shine a light on this stuff, it's it's actually all fixable. Mm -hmm. It's not so hard to fix. And you asked an optimistic scenario. Look, we've already, with the first COVID relief bill, which had the childcare credit, right? Uh, you know, you we have reduced childhood poverty in America by 50%, by half in one year. I mean, what that should make us realize is, you know, we don't have to live with these things. There are actually very simple ways that we can solve them. Right. And, you know, and, and I think even the most, uh, the purest libertarian would agree 
you know, a, to invest the money for, in a child who has, you know, is, it's not like the child is being lazy or not working or anything like that. This is a no-brainer. You will you give them better nutrition, you give them better education, and then they end up, you know, being better citizens and more productive members of the economy. So there's so many things we can do. So if Biden gets two of these bills done, you know, the the infrastructure bill and the soft infrastructure bill, if he's able to have a reasonably successful presidency, if Trump is defeated decisively, I think the best thing that could happen is that he does get nominated and it's a wipeout and he loses. I think then you have the beginnings of restoring a kind of normal politics in America. I'm hoping that people looked at Trump and enough people looked at it and said, you know, this is a dangerous path. Um, and yes, there are people who who believe in him but 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 just one piece of my optimism comes from this alley which is you're never going to get a hundred percent 35 percent of the country still supported Nixon after he resigned 35 percent of the country supported McCarthy after the Senate censure so you know your best case scenario is 65 35 but I think you know Maybe not that, but could we get to a 60-40 sane politics? Yeah, it's possible. It's I'm, I wouldn't bet money on it today, but that's what I hope. Okay. Well, I'll take it. You know, they say um, in life we only use 10% of our brain. I think you only had to use 3% of your brain on my podcast, and I used all 100% of my brain. I tend to be an optimist, so I'm going to hope that lessons are learned from this. And now it is your time. Fareed Zakaria to ask me a question. I could ask you so many questions, <laughs> Ali. You know, I, I'll be honest, like I still remember the first time I sat next to you at a <laughs> dinner party, which is probably 20 odd years ago. Um, and I just came away thinking, that was so much fun. <laughs> so my question to you is, you are one of the funniest people I know, one of the most naturally comedic people I know. Do you, do you think that, you know, this, and I'm thinking of the Dave Chappelle type stuff, do you think it's possible to be to be really funny if you have to be sure never to offend anyone, any any member of any group? Well, it's funny that you asked that question because I just did a podcast about that because it is something that I think about every day because what with the Dave Chappelle controversy, but also I find that a lot of times when I joke around, even in the confines of my own home, I have two children that are constantly saying, you can't say that. Mom, you can't do that. Mom, you can't post that. You know, so yeah, I, yeah, yeah. it's a minefield. I can't say anything. But then again, I'm not doing stand up. I'm not on any kind of global stage. But, you know, my feeling is this. A lot of times I think comedians are the truth sayers. And whether they're saying something provocative or not, it does make us think. And it also gives a sense of sort of the temperature of the culture at that time. And so my feeling with comedy is nothing should be off limits. And if if things are off limits, then it should be universal. You can't have Ricky Gervais make AIDS jokes, but then somebody else isn't allowed to do this. You know, so my feeling is let comedians who are craftsmen, who are who are generally funny and let them go be kind of the the narrators of our time and let them push buttons. Well, I just wanted to, so for the benefit of our listeners, to remind, make one small correction. Yes. Uh, when you grew up in the Clinton administration, 
not the Nixon administration. Oh, I'm sorry. I messed that up. It's I lie so much about my age, I forget who was in power. Um, but I did have a huge crush on G. Gordon Liddy's son in my youth. So there, I said it. Fareed, thank you. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. When we come back, we'll talk with therapist Donna Fish about how to handle the uncertainty of a long-term pandemic. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Now for some insight from a top mental health expert as we re-enter this unpredictable world. So I recorded this interview back in September, and that was a day after my daughter was diagnosed with COVID, right as she was supposed to go to college for the first time. And the Delta variant had emergency rooms filled all over the city. 
And she had a breakthrough. Um, she was already vaccinated and it just spun us all out. Now she's thriving in school and Delta has subsided a bit. But these are two of the conditions that could happen to us at any time. And that is the point. We can't make any predictions which way this virus will take us for the foreseeable future. So how do we deal? Enter Donna Fish. Donna Fish is a psychotherapist and licensed clinical social worker in Manhattan. Her current specialties include trauma, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, and family and couples therapy. She's lectured and held adjunct positions at the Harvard Medical School Department of Continuing Education and Columbia University. And she often writes for Psychology Today and has many, many articles published by the Huffington Post. Donna Fish, thank you so much for being with me today on Go Ask Alley. There's a lot to cover. Thank you, Allie. Thank you so much for having me. So here we are, Donna Fish. We're not getting out of this pandemic anytime soon. Um, I want to talk to you about how we kind of readjust our lives to fit into this global scenario. And I got to tell you something. Yesterday, my daughter, who's 18 years old, who's about to go to Brown University, tested positive for COVID. Oh, dear. So it just... It's a shit show over here because we now have to prolong her moving in. We're all quarantining for 10 days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the worst part about it is I, I feel like, wait, we already got through this. What's happening? Why are we back eating noodles again? Yeah. So I want to talk about anxiety first because there is an anxiety for a virus that seems to never end. Yeah, Absolutely. First off, most importantly, oh my God, as a parent and your poor daughter, I mean, it's so awful. It's the worst. And also she has anxiety in general about starting college for the first time. Of course. I mean, what I've been thinking about lately, and I love that you brought up anxiety to talk about first, because I'm obviously <laughs> hearing about it from all of my patients every day. And, you know, my own kids, myself, and I'm realizing, I think, okay, so we're really having to move into a really different way of thinking and kind of framing things. It's like living with a chronic illness. You have to adjust your expectations. So everything, we got to reframe everything. Like my family's in Canada. I'm from Canada originally. I can't just pop off to Toronto to go see my daughter who's just moving into a new apartment. I want to help her move. Like, what if I get stuck in Canada and can I afford it? So there's a rethinking of everything. And I realized we could, we have sort of a choice here. We could get super anxious about it and go into disaster mode thinking, or we can kind of accept that, like, this is really the name of the game now. It's endemic, right? I mean, meaning we're living with this. Right. And to also understand that everybody's going through this. So your daughter is not alone, number one. Well, that's one of the things that I said to her was because uh, I've heard more and more friends who have kids that were supposed to go to college and the same thing. Exactly. Either they got it, somebody else got, you know, so right. I feel like it's a little bit of Groundhog's Day, but also this is the new norm. You know, there's going to be people quarantining all the time. Exactly. So she's not the only one missing out, you know, FOMO. <laughs> yeah, the whole world is in FOMO. Well, at least when we were like locked down, it reduced the FOMO. Yes. <laughs> now, as, we, as, we, as we're reemerging, there can be that also anxiety of like, but, you know, my best friend is moving into the dorm and I'm not, right? Right. You know, my daughter's upset because it's not like, 
nobody's going to college. Everybody who's supposed to be going to move in or moving in except for her because of the circumstances. So, right. you know, I worry about anxiety with that. I also worry, are we in this endless whirlwind of pandemic crisis? And that is a whole other, you know, huge thing to have to deal with. I think that this idea, like the stop start, kind of thing. Yeah. Right. You're just thinking, oh, I'm going to be able to get back to work because my kids are going to school now. And the fact that, well, no, your kid just tested positive or there's another kid who tested positive. So your kid is being quarantined and they're back home and you're back doing Zoom school. And then you have to tell your boss like, oops, sorry, can't attend that meeting or, you know, and I think that everybody is just going to have to have a tremendous acceptance of that, Mm -hmm. that at any moment, your life is going to have to kind of stop and you're going to have to readjust and recalibrate. And so that's kind of the new normal. I mean, one of the ways we cope best, right, that helps anxiety is to be able to predict things. Right. And so the more we can predict and readjust our expectations of like, okay, well, we really can't expect to go back to whatever life we used to have because that's not happening. Then we can at least go, okay, what can we expect? Mm-hmm. What's reasonable? What's realistic? Exactly. So if we can all get on the same page, and we are at least all in this together, whether you're vaccinated, not vaccinated, we're all sort of vulnerable. Yes. I do wonder, because I think we all sort of went through COVID for a year and a half. We all, as you said, were taking off our masks. This summer was, you know, fun, fun, socializing. Everyone was out. we sort of felt like, oh, that's over. Well, now it's now it's not over. And I wonder, are kids finding ways to control the few things they can just because the whole world looks out of control right now? Well, what you're hitting on is, in fact, exactly what's important for trauma, right? I do a ton of work with trauma. And one of the most important things when you're dealing with a lot of, you know, overwhelming powerlessness and helplessness, which is like we are powerless over the course of this pandemic to a degree, obviously. What's the most important thing is to find at least a few things that you have control over. And so that's a single thing that you can always help as a parent with your children, help them find things that they can control. Mm -hmm. The other thing, I don't know if this is a moment I can launch into a little technique or tool that I offer people. Please. Um, <laughs> we'll take tools. So one of the things that happens when you are you know, struggling with anxiety is our brains will worry. And worry is actually our brain's attempt to decrease anxiety, believe it or not. It's our way to kind of help ourselves feel a sense of control and feel less anxious and less panicked. So we, our brains are sort of scrambling. It could sometimes get circular and just kind of drive you crazy, and it doesn't it doesn't actually work to really decrease anxiety. However, I have a method that I love to use, which is called the worry sheet. And what I do is I have people really write down, and you people could do this with their children too, really young children. You could just do the writing yourself. You could ask them, so what's going on in your head? Let's write down all of your worry thoughts. So I'll make a list of all the worry thoughts. I like to group worry thoughts into productive worry thoughts and non-productive worry thoughts. Okay. The productive worry thoughts are things that you're worrying about that you can do something about them. So let's say, for example, if you're worried that you have a deadline coming up, let's say it's a college student and, you know, you've got this big paper that you have to write, you know, you don't have to do it yet, but 
It's hovering over your head. Make a schedule of some actionable items, I call them. I'll say, okay, look, let's put it in your calendar. Oh, this is when I'm going to start XYZ. I'll go to the library or I'll start researching. And so you really make a list and you take each worry thought and you see, is there something you can do about it? And you make it actionable. The non-productive worry are the things you have absolutely no control over. Yeah. Is the pandemic? Exactly. I would think that that, yeah. Yeah. When is the pandemic going to be over? I have another little tool for that one if you want to hear it. Great. (laughs) I need a toolkit from you. (laughs) So one of the things that I like to I like to reframe all emotions, okay? Because emotions are not good or bad, okay? All emotions are beautiful because we're human beings and we're, we have this capacity for a full palette, right? And they're all varying degrees, almost like a paint strip, right? It's the intensity of the emotions that usually create the suffering. It's not an emotion in and of itself. So let's take anxiety, for example. Anxiety, if it's a 10 out of 10, it really makes it challenging to think straight. That being said, in certain circumstances, it might be really useful to panic, right? Gets your adrenaline going, it's the fight or flight response, you better panic, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not that panic is good or bad. It has its advantages. It's just that if you're panicking when you're in the situation where you're not in danger, it's going to get in the way of your judgment and your ability to think straight. So let's look at the advantages of your anxiety about the pandemic. And not only the advantages, but the great things it says about you and your core values that you're anxious about the pandemic. Well, number one, anxiety helps you mobilize, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It gives you adrenaline. It helps you kind of be on the alert. Make good decisions. Well, it can help you make good decisions because you're using the emotion of anxiety to use your thought, mm-hmm. your rational mind to go, oh, I'm anxious, therefore, oh, it might make sense. I just got exposed. Let me go get tested. So that's good anxiety. And then, you know, you want to validate the emotion. And that validation of the feelings also helps coping and helps soothing. Mm -hmm. So that validation is important. Right. So it's important to, particularly with our children, to validate their anxiety about this new world. Absolutely. So the next piece of this, which obviously anxiety has a strong hold on, is how to socialize now. Because I can tell you from speaking to adults, I have seen a huge shift with how adults now view socializing. I think people in a lot of ways had positive responses to being in their pod. Right. And on the one hand, you know, that's kind of great. People are sort of cutting out the fat. They're finding out what's important to them. But I have also noticed that there is a lot of anxiety now going in socializing. Yeah. You know, just re-emerging, right? And it, it, it is so true. It's like we were habituated. We were trained really to be socially distant and to be anxious and not to get near each other and to reduce the people we socialize with. Um, and it's a little like what I was referring to about how much anxiety is useful versus how much gets crippling. And so I've noticed in my practice, I'm having to help people reemerge because right now their anxiety could be pitched so high that they're like, I have to stay in my apartment and I can't get together with my friends. I'm like, that's not really going to help you with living a you know a happy life and helping you with your depression. Mm-hmm. So, and to some degree, that's not necessarily true that you can't socialize. So it's like their anxiety is still pitched at the level of like, 
where it was. So we have to sort of figure out, okay, well, what's realistic? What's doable? And also what's, what's doable for you? So what kind of baby steps can you take to, you know, starting to see maybe three people at a time? And what are the things you need to do to feel somewhat comfortable, but still push yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that's actually really important to treat anxiety is, is exposing yourself to anxiety. Because the more you avoid feelings of anxiety, the more crippled you become. You know, people get agoraphobic or they stop, you know, they can't do things. They can't socialize or they can't go out and they're too frightened. And the more we avoid, the more we sort of create these monsters in our head. Right. And so it does take, you know, little bit of kind of pushing. I've been trying to help people actually feel more uncomfortable and more anxious, mm-hmm. ironically. And paradoxically, because the route through anxiety is more anxiety, believe it or not, to get to the other side. Yeah, no, I believe it. Yeah. I, there's anxiety runs through our family. So I understand that. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about, again, when we were all in lockdown, we all knew the rules. We all knew what we were supposed to do. And I have seen a lot of anxiety now with, well, yes, there's the Delta variant and other variants. It's COVID is still going. And yet, I'll get a paperless post to go to a big party. And then I have friends who will not come out of their house. So now we're in this kind of free fall of everyone being very confused. Well, should I go to this birthday party? It's one of my best friends, but she's having 40 people. That's crazy. You know, it is a lot of head scratching. It is a lot of head scratching. And I think it's one of those great times where everybody has to figure it out for themselves and what works for them too. Yeah. There is no one rule, one size fits all here. You know, we kind of have to have respect, right? You know, one friend may not want to come to your birthday party because she's too uncomfortable. And to some degree, another thing is I think we have to be a little bit cautious of this, right? There's something called secondary gain, which means that you can maintain your anxiety because it really helps with something else so that you don't actually want to get over your anxiety. Because if you did, you'd have to actually go, you know, go to a birthday party you don't want to go to. So, you know, like for kids, like sometimes they might be like, I'm scared to go out because of Delta. Um, But truthfully, it's really a social anxiety issue that they're dealing with or a bullying issue. So we have to be a little bit cautious that it's not used to be able to avoid, really avoid. Right. But isn't that so hard to figure out? Exactly. Which is where as a parent, you're the expert on your own kid. You know your kid better than anyone. And as a mom, our instincts are so honed. Like we could feel it. Right. When it's like, that maybe there's some other reasons that you're wanting to not go to this party or, you know, not wanting to live in the dorm this year or whatever. And they could be super valid reasons too. I like to really open up, like, it's okay to have all these things that you're worrying about and that you're scared of, you know? Right, exactly. Another thing is there's a lot of anxiety and animosity with the mask war, I call it. Oh my God, right? So with the anti-vaxxers and the vaxxers and the mask and not wearing the mask. And I find that that's triggering people. I know, I know. No, it's so unbelievably emotional. Yes. And I think it's because it's addressing like our survival, you know, and feeling threatened. And both camps are feeling the same way, right? Right, right. You are threatening my kid. My kid can't breathe with a mask. But I, I do really believe and know this Every parent is absolutely always, always doing what they feel is best for their child. It's not because they're wanting to hurt other people. It's so primitive, our instinct to protect our kids. Even if it seems malevolent, 
you always can find the thread of the parent was feeling instinctively and absolutely believing this is what I need to do to help my child and to protect my child. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that happens when we're really frightened is that we like to blame other people for the problem because there's something about blaming and focusing that and blaming the other person for the problem. I think that gives you a weird sense of control. But it, but it does. It does. I mean, it does. I, I think about, you know, if you, you and I were lost in the woods, you would probably blame me because I didn't read the map well. And I would blame you because you didn't wear the right shoes and you're slowing us down and it's getting dark. I mean, exactly, exactly. If I'm frightened and feel powerless, I go to anger because anger is power. I mean, that's one of the benefits of anger, in fact. Yeah, but it's also it's a very primal feeling. I mean, think about every wild animal. Exactly. If you, you know, approach their cubs or their babies, they'll kill you. Bingo. So I think a part of what happens is in the space that we're in right now of this absolutely not knowing what the fuck is going to come next, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that really messes with our coping because part of helping people's anxiety go down and coping is predicting things. We can't predict things anymore. Right. And that messes with our ability to feel calm and in control. So it's just completely messing with our basic kind of hard drive that kind of goes, this is how I function. And so it's so easy. We we are feeling so helpless and powerless. But instead of recognizing that, validating it, saying, okay, this is what we are helpless and powerless over, we want to just blame. There's something satisfying about just being able to blame the other person. Right, right. And, and wanting to be right and wanting to be thinking we're doing the right thing. And it's time for a short break. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at KNIX.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. And we're back. So uh, let's let's bring it up now to adults, because I think, too, I mean, it's been rough on marriages this whole period. Yes. Um, and I think it's taken more of a toll on relationships than we even realize. The stress, it comes out in relationships in different ways. How do we maintain our relationships without completely losing our minds? A good sense of humor. And our ability to laugh at our own selves. Well, I've been trying that. You're, you're very good at that. Um, you know, I I think that the most useful thing to maintain any close relationships is to be willing to look at your own role in the problem and to stop blaming the other person. That being said, when we're really angry and really upset, it's not realistic, which is fine. But finding some truth in what the other person's saying about how angry they are with you or whatever you did wrong, even if it feels unfair. And then finding some way to imagine, well, what does that feel like? Yeah, of course. Oh, I get it. You know, of course you were really frustrated with me or of course that made you feel really ashamed. If you can just create and continue that skill of like, okay, well, what's that like from the other person's point of view? And you know that person, like when you're in a relationship with somebody. Yes. You know, being able to fight also is a great skill, like being able to fight and then reconnect. Mm -hmm. Because some people avoid fighting and avoid conflict, which isn't healthy. Mm -hmm. Or they let it build up or one person's the fighter and the other person shuts down. So being able to figure out how to how to fight productively, I call it, is really useful. And learning good skills to be able to not just because we always want to be listened to, right? Who doesn't want that? But our capacity to actually listen to the other person is usually pretty limited and it requires empathy and it requires really asking and saying, okay, you said this and I'm imagining you might, might have been feeling X, Y, Z. Am I getting that right? Right. And to make sure that you're actually getting it from their point of view. A lot of people think empathy means thinking, oh, I would feel like this in that situation. That's actually not empathy. That's subjectivity. That's that's kind of more thinking of it from your point of view. And so like if you just took a moment and said, okay, well, how might they have felt? 
as you know them, not how you would feel. And that's the hard part. Yeah. And then there's one last piece that's really, really important to maintain. Yeah. You find at least one to two things that you could say to the other person that you really do genuinely respect about them. Because respect is, in fact, what breeds ongoing love and closeness and, you know, the ebb and flow of a long-term marriage. And so to, to have enduring love, respect is what fuels that. Mm-hmm. And literally finding those things, at least one a day, every single day, like brushing teeth, these are habits so that you can maintain and even get closer. And then we could talk about the situations where, you know, you want to maintain the status quo or you make a decision like, this is a person where, no, it doesn't make sense to stay with. Because in fact, I think the pandemic has helped people realize like life's short. Yeah. I don't want to stay in this marriage, right? Yeah. But I, I wanted to say that that something that I have found that's been helpful for me in my marriage is that there are times where, you know, we're fighting about something and a lot of people like, like dig in even more, you know, they kind of like, no, I'm right. And there are times when I've realized, you know what, I'm wrong. I'm just wrong about this <laughs> or I'm stressed out. Like I'm stressed out about COVID. Right. You know, when everything blew up, when my daughter tested positive, I was angry and upset and lashing out and arguing with my husband and the right in the middle of the argument I went you know what I'm sorry this is this is nothing to do with you this is covid and I'm sorry but that self awareness that you have is what saves and what creates and endures relationships we can't always be you know in 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 this calm state of mind and listening perfectly like believe me but I, but I also think we're all everything that it's been dialed up emotionally for all of us right now like all of us i think it's a heightened emotional time and so you know we all have to be aware of that and one of the things that i want to go back to which i think is so helpful this is my big aha moment with you is that um that we're all in it in one way or another. We're not all in lockdown anymore, but we're all dealing with repercussions of this pandemic. And if we can look at everybody else and think, however they're acting, whatever they're doing, whether they're secluding themselves, they're being overly social, they're screaming at parents, they're this, they're that, we can all agree that it comes from an emotional place and it comes from a place of being safe, whether for them or their kids. And that, for me, is a really interesting lens to look at all of this through, because that's the only way I'm able to have empathy and understanding with somebody who's, you know, maybe dealing with this in a way that I'm not. Exactly. And respecting that. And that everybody has a right to do what they're comfortable with. And we all have to figure that out differently. And it could keep, and it's going to keep changing too. Right. And to be open to that change. I mean, evolution happens because we adapt it. And so if we're going to survive this, we have to figure out how to adapt. And that means that we got to adapt to the fact that the reality that things keep changing and that there's no one way to be. That being said, everyone has a right to create their own boundaries. So, so it's that healthy respect, but also everybody can make their own choices. Right. Donna Fish, this has been really, really helpful. Okay, Donna Fish, we've come to the point in the podcast where you get to ask me a question. Okay, so my question for you was about social media. And you have two daughters, right? Yes. 
and they're 18. And how old is the other one? 16. Oh my God. Perfect ages for this. So when my kids were that age, oh my God, there was no Instagram. I mean, honestly, I feel for the adolescents I treat and the young women and the young people I treat who are always like looking at images, not just social media, but like literally how everyone is being looked at and how everybody's taking selfies. And like, how do you help them navigate that? It has been, well, of course, I didn't grow up with social media. And so I, there's no handbook for it. Um, Right. You know, I read books like The Big Disconnect and I worried first of all, about my daughters with this whole sexualization of social media. It was a huge red flag for me. And so what I did was I started to look at images with them and say, you see this girl, you know, she's doing this in a bikini, but what is, what is she really saying? What is she selling? Let's look at the big picture. What's going on here? What hole is she trying to fill? And so I would start with things that they could understand like that. And I used a lot of humor with it. You know, I, I, you know, if they were dressed provocatively, I'd say, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Are you a Kardashian? Well, why don't you have Kris Jenner make you dinner? So there was a lot of that. But also it was really important for me to talk about the interior. And I would say, you know, what's really sexy, not being an Instagram influencer, but being like a really cool scientist. And I think it helped. I also had to be a parent and go, you're just not allowed to post bikini shots. You just, you're not allowed to. So, and then when they had friends that would do it, I would again, sit with them and say, God, why, why do you think your friend is sticking her ass out in a bikini? Like what, what's going on with her that she feels the need to do that? So those, the combination of those two things helped a lot. But, you know, it doesn't mean that they're still like not in their beds right now looking at images going like, oh, I want to have that. I'm feeling so moved, really heartened and just really respect you so much because you're offering your kids exactly what they need to build the resilience to cope with all of this, which is a close relationship with you, that you're engaged, that you sit there with them and, and that you're helping them think you're, you're, you're asking them, you're asking them to think about things, but you're in there with them. And you have obviously such a great close relationship. And guess what? That is the key to helping our kids and to helping them deal with all the anxiety as a mental health professional. My hat's off. Thank you. I'm serious. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for asking. So thank you so, so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Allie. I really think that the key takeaway from this episode, and there was a lot, is that we kind of have to, in our relationships and our relationships with other people, we may not believe the same thing. We may not act the same way in this COVID world, but we have to be able to think that, you know, this person over here is doing the right thing for themselves, or this person over here is doing the right thing for their families, because we are very polarized right now. And so much of this has been heated up by this pandemic. And as I sit here, I just want to close my eyes and think to myself in one way or another, we are all in this together. We are all charting new territory in various degrees. And for some, it has been horrific. People have lost jobs. People have lost lives. We have lost our sense of community. But the one thing we can't lose 
is our sense of humanity and empathy, because that's all we have. And many people believe that's the only way we're going to get through this. And I want to thank Fareed Zakaria because I was feeling very dark about the state of our country. And he actually made me feel very optimistic about the economy, about activism. Uh, it's a way of sort of righting the wrongs. I mean, maybe our country needed to take a very close look at the things that are just not working. So maybe it's time for us as Americans to reflect on the things that need to be fixed. And since my conversation with Fareed, one of Biden's two infrastructure bills has become law and the other is still in the Senate. And in the ever evolving and changing world, the Omicron variant is now with us. And so fasten your seatbelts, see where this goes. So thank you, Fareed. And thank you, Donna. Thank you so much for listening to Go Ask Allie. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast and follow me on social media on Twitter at Allie E. Wentworth and on Instagram at The Real Allie Wentworth. And look, if you have any questions or guest suggestions, I would love to hear from you. Call or text me at 323-364-6356 or email Podcast at gmail.com. Go Ask Alley is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo. Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.